Welcome. My name is Casey Schutt. I'm the pastor of King's Cross Church in Oklahoma City, and we're glad that you've joined us. Last September, I uh, heard from, from a friend from an old church in Iowa, Sacred City Church, a church that we attended and were involved in in its very early stages. Uh, he re- ben reached out and asked if I would be willing to preach, and of course, I was delighted at the prospect to come to the Quad Cities on May 17th. Uh, Little did we know then what would would be in store for us. Uh, And, you know, I was was excited at the prospect to see many old friends from Sacred City Church to drive by the old house, maybe take a walk down Duck Creek Trail, definitely eat my share of Whitey's ice cream. But that's not what happened. Uh, We're here, we're stuck. I'm in Oklahoma City, you're in Iowa. Um, But what it has afforded, this opportunity, uh, this time, has afforded um, the opportunity for us all to be together. Because we have, joining us this morning, Sacred City Church, Davenport, Sam in Sacred City Church, Moline, and then, of course, King's Cross Church. And and while we are uh, not technically together, uh, there is a supernatural bond that these three congregations have with one another. That even though we're apart, the Spirit is able to somehow knit and stitch us together as the body of Christ. In Sacred City, I want to I thank you because a, a portion of your, uh, your gifts to the church have contributed to our work in Oklahoma City. Um, you guys have, have supported us financially this past year. You've been praying for us, and we're grateful for your support. We as a church, we started our first Sunday, gathered together, uh, was March 29th. So it was not long after all this quarantine began. And so we've been in this electronic format uh, since then. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians Uh, and you guys have been in Colossians. And there are a lot of parallels between these two books of the Bible. You know, it's it's tempting for us to think of the Bible as just kind of falling down from the heavens and landing on the uh, appropriate aisle of your local Christian bookstore. But that's not how we got these scriptures. Um, They emerged in, in all the messiness and earthiness of, of the Christian life. Like Paul in Colossians and Ephesians is writing to churches that have real struggles. And it, it's believed, it's most likely that Paul wrote both Ephesians and Colossians during his imprisonment in Rome. And uh, in fact, both books parallel one another quite a bit. The sermon that I am preaching this morning, the text that I'm preaching this morning is almost identical to the text I preached last, Ephesians chapter 4 and the early verses of chapter 4. Um, and so that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm thankful that all of us can be uh, together for this, worshiping together. In my favorite movie this past year, the best movie in my, as far as I'm concerned of 2019, was a movie called Ford vs. Ferrari. And in that movie, 
uh, Ford Motor Company is dealing with, with declining sales, and they have an idea to uh, infuse a little excitement into the Ford brand by entering the race car circuit. And the desire is for Ford to build a race car that can compete with the likes of Ferrari and others, and hopefully win the most prestigious race in the world, Le Mans. And so this movie uh, is about getting parts to work together. Of course, there's the car part, right? That's to Ford, who's been mass-producing, uh, manufacturing loads of vehicles for the everyman, now has to figure out how to engineer a race car and, and get the engine to be powerful enough, but not too powerful. Um, the brakes to be strong enough, but light enough, but not so light that they're weak. And to get the vehicle structure itself to be uh, light enough that it can travel as fast as possible, but not so light that it lifts and not so heavy that it drags. So there's all of these various parts that are being engineered to work together, to cohere together for speed. But even more interesting than that, there are people parts that have to work together, right? There's Ford Motor Company and the kind of the clunky bureaucracy that is this huge company. And they're trying to work with uh, Carroll Shelby and his little outfit of car makers. And, and, and then there's dynamics within Shelby's crew between uh, the, the head of Shelby and Ken Miles, who's the, the, the gifted race car driver that has difficulty relating with others. And so all of these people parts are trying to work together to build a car that can be the fastest car on the planet. That's the movie. And there is an insightful moment in the movie when Ken Miles, played masterfully by Christian Bale, is talking to his son, Peter, on the racetrack. Right? And the racetrack is empty. Uh, it's a beautiful sunset. It's a beautiful father-son moment. And Ken says this to his son. If you're going to push a piece of machinery to the limit and expect it to hold together, you have to have some sense of where that limit is. Look out there, he says. He's pointing to the, to the sky, to the sunset. Out there is the perfect lap. No mistakes. Every gear change, every corner, perfect. Do you see it? So what, what Ken is saying is that out in the cosmos, there is the perfect lap, right? The planets are making their lap around the sun. And we're at, right at this moment, we are, we are spinning at 1,000 miles per hour. And we're looping, we're making a lap around the sun at a speed of 67,000 miles per hour, just flying through space. We're making the, 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 the perfect lap. There's, there's harmony. There's not a crash or disaster. Sally Lloyd-Jones, in her um, children's devotion for, for teens, every, uh, Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing, she says this in the opening. In the beginning, God set the whole universe dancing. God was in the center, at the heart of everything, like the dance of the planets before the sun, turning, spinning, circling, wheeling, revolving, orbiting around and around. God made everything in his world 
and his universe and in his children's hearts to center around him in a wonderful dance of joy. Now, as we all know, we got out of step with that dance. We got off course in, this, in these laps around God. And what Paul has been doing is explaining, in, really in both Colossians and Ephesians, how we get on course. Um, how the parts that are the church function and operate in such a way that there is unity, a oneness. How we do something far greater than like win Lamas, but how the parts of the church work together to build the church up into union with Christ. That's the goal. And so last week, Justin helped us get our clothes off, right? The old clothes um, that, were, that were all uh, selfishly driven, right? In orbit around the self, the old self. And this week, I'm going to help us get a new set of clothes on. Um, you, could, you could organize the sermon under these two headings. There's outerwear. We're going to consider our outerwear. And then we're going to consider underwear. Now, if you, uh, if you feel uncomfortable, actually I talked to Joel uh, on the lead up to this, and he, the way he explained what Sacred City has been doing uh, in all this time is it's sort of a choose-your-own-adventure approach to worship. You've got songs that you choose, and you've got the sermon, you kind of put it all together. Think of the headings this morning as a choose-your-own-heading. Right? We've got outerwear, underwear, but if you prefer not to use underwear as a, as a heading, we also have, you can organize it this way. Paul, Paul is going to explain the fruits and the roots that are underneath the fruits, that are giving life to the fruit, or outerwear, underwear. So, with that introduction, I'm going to read our text this morning. It's Colossians chapter 3, beginning... At verse 12, reading through verse 15. So Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flowers. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever, and it does. And this is God's word. Let's pray together as we consider this text of Scripture. Father, we we give you thanks that you have been mercifully pursuing us when we got off course uh, and we began to run in the opposite direction. Not only off course, but we were heading in the entirely different direction. And you've pulled us back on track and, and you've given us your word which teaches us how to work together both individually but even corporately 
to be what you've called us to be, to be in orbit around the love of the Trinity. And I pray that you would unscramble my thoughts, my words, and infuse them with your power, with your spirit. And that even though we're, everything is mediated to today, um, that you, your spirit would um, cross all of the barriers that are between us and work upon us together. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, as we mentioned, as we looked at last week, the old self has been put to death, right? That action has been done to us. We've been crucified with Christ. And yet, as we looked at last week, as Justin described, we're still putting to death the deeds of the flesh. We're still, as Justin put it, we're putting, we have to, we have to put our foot on the throat of the old self to put it to death and, because it lives on. And that old self was in orbit around the self, sexually and relationally. Those are the, those are the emphases that Paul give, gave last week. And when you're running laps around yourself, right, you're not really going anywhere in that, are you? So Paul, in, in these verses, is giving us a prescription for putting on the new self. And he does so in verse 12. Let's look, at, look at what it says, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. That's the first thing. What is a compassionate heart? Martin Luther said, if we want to know what a compassionate heart is, the best place to look, the place where we get closest to compassion, is when you consider a parent's relationship to their child. Right? Think, think about it, parents. You, when your child um, crushes a piano recital or wins state in, in football or soccer or whatever it is or graduates with honors, you are lifted up into that joy. And maybe, maybe you even experience it more than if, it were to hap- if those very things were to happen to you. And conversely, if your child is sick or hurt, or suffering, you experience that uh, to a degree that's even greater than if you were the child itself. This is, this is compassion, right? I mean, the word literally means to suffer with or to feel with. And so having compassionate hearts means that we um, have those types of feelings for, the, for those in the body of Christ, for the church. But it's not just that. Um, Paul is describing more than that, and I should also say this before we move forward in these terms here. There's a connectedness to these, uh, these characteristics. Paul's telling us to put these things on. It's not like he's asking us to wear this, this ugly Christmas sweater, right, that has like, you know, it's just a bunch of patchwork of a mess of, of things, the different materials. No, Paul is describing a very seamless garment, Because flowing forth from compassion, if you have compassion, verse 12, you will have kindness. You will have humility. By the way, humility is not thinking uh, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And Paul gives us a wonderful definition of humility in Philippians where he says, Be humble, 
have this mind, which is yours in Christ, who though Jesus existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, uh, becoming, becoming in the likeness of man, pouring his life out, and was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's humility, right? It's not thinking less of yourself. In fact, if you look at what Jesus said, he was making these soaring, sweeping claims about himself. Really, all he does in his ministry is talk about himself. He calls himself God. I am the great I am. He says that I can provide uh, life. If you eat from me, you can, you can be nourished forever. If you drink from me, I can give you living waters. Well, you'll never thirst again. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Like, he's making these grand, state, sweeping statements. And yet, when you look at his life, he's pouring himself out for others. All of his miraculous powers are used in the service of others. Not once does he use... He's tempted once to use his, his miraculous power for himself, right? To turn the stones to bread, to feed himself after this 40-day fast, and he doesn't. Because he came to serve. He, he, he personified humility. And look, it all flows from compassion, Right? He had compassion, and so he felt the needs of those around him. And so he exercised his powers on, the behalf, on behalf of those around him. That's what compassion drives us to do. But it's not just kindness and humility and compassion. Verse 12, again, meekness. We as a family watched um, Call of the Wild this past week. And the book, it's based on the Jack London uh, book. And it centers around a dog named Buck, who's this strong, mighty, powerful dog. And he uses his strength and his power in the service of others. And in doing so, he wins the, uh, the favor of the pack that he's in as a sled dog, and also the people that he's serving. And sometimes the people that he's serving are, are not nice to him, and yet he's still using his strength and power to serve. That's what meekness is, right? It's not weakness. It, rather, it's using your, your power in, a, in such a way that you are serving those around you. And finally, verse, verse 12, the, another piece of this garment that we are to put on, this outerwear, is patience. Think of, think of it this way. Sin puts us in orbit around ourselves... We get bent on ourselves and we reduce the world to the claustrophobic confines of our desires, our wants, and our needs, as Paul Tripp has said. And because you, when you do that, you, in your mind, in your own estimation, you are growing uh, ever increasingly almighty, right? You are becoming the king of your universe and you, you elevate everything that you're doing, including your timeline on life. And so if, if someone gets in the way of that timeline, you get frustrated. You get irritated. If you're sitting at a traffic light and the car in front, there's a green light and the car in front of you is just sitting there, you get, uh, you get frustrated. 
because they're not cooperating with your almighty timeline. Or you're sitting in the grocery store and the person in front of you, they know that every time they go to the grocery store, they ring up the total and there's a declaration from the cashier of what the total is and then you have to be ready to pay. But they wait until, oh, there's the total. And then they start thumbing through their wallet or their purse trying to find, and you get frustrated because they're not cooperating with your timeline. Maybe it's your smartphone and it's like three seconds to find the website that you're wanting and not a millisecond, right? All of life is in orbit around you and so consequently impatience comes in when when your timeline is thwarted. But what Paul is calling us to do is to set back, put our lives in orbit around God and lovingly accept his all-wise timeline. And be patient as a result. Be patient. But he doesn't end there. Verse 13, bearing one another. There's this uh, movie that came out in the early 70s called Love Story. And it, it's, a, it's a schmaltz fest of a movie. But in one scene, the, um, the boyfriend is running frantically trying to find uh, his, his lover and he, he approaches her because he's, he's wronged her. And he says, I'm sorry. And she's got her you know, faces all cry. She's been crying and kind of red-faced. And she says, love means you never have to say you're sorry. Love means you never have to say you're sorry. Hey, and, you know, there's a point in your life where you're kind of like, oh, yeah, that's good. You know, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe you're in a dating relationship and you're like, yeah, what, you know, Love means you never have to say you're sorry. When you get so, when you get when you get married, you get in such lockstep with your with your partner. You 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 get united to them, so that you guys are thinking the same thoughts and you're you're agreeing on everything. And then you get into marriage and you realize that's not the case at all. In fact, you have to bear one another. That is fundamental to a marriage. It's fundamental to any kind of love. Love requires us to bear one another. And it's not easy. But it's how, it's, it's how the parts work together. The parts of the church. We are one body in reality, but we're becoming one. And this is how we become one. Not only do we bear one another, but we also forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. In verse 14, Paul says, Above all of these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Right? So so this is the outerwear, right? There's compassion, there's humility, there's meekness, kindness, patience. And like I said, it's a relatively seamless garment. There is a seam, though. There is something holding it all together, and it's this last thing that Paul mentions, love. Because at the center of the universe, there is love. God is love, the triune God. And all of creation is doing laps of love around its creator. And love is what, it's not only what sustains creation and keeps it moving, but it's also what kick-started creation in the first place. And so Paul, that's why Paul says, look, this is the, this is the trump this, this love has to be behind all of these things or it's not working properly because it's not in step with the dance of the universe, which is all in orbit around a God who is love. So love is above all. Verse 15, Paul says, 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What does it mean for the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts? Any peace that we have with our neighbor, with God, with others, is rooted in Christ and the peace that He acquired through His work on the cross. And Paul is saying, look, the peace of Christ needs to be almost like a referee in your life. Right? And it's, it's a rule. It's a rule. It's not meant to stifle or, or confine you in any way, but it's meant for you to flourish as a community, for the church to flourish. Right? The referee in the, in, the, in the sport, in the basketball game or whatever it is, is not limiting the players. Actually, it's, it's freeing the players up in order to play by the rules and play according to the way the game is intended to be played. So what does this look like? Let's say um, you know, you've, got, you've got kids and they um, every day you've told them, make your bed when you get up. And nearly every day they forget to make their beds. And you're just, on this particular morning, you're upset, right? How could you forget every day of your life? We've told you to do this simple thing, and yet you've failed yet again. And so you're about to blow your lid, and you go into their room. What is the peace of Christ? If the peace of Christ is ruling your life in that moment, this is what happens. Jesus blows his whistle. Remember, every day my mercies are new to you. Every day I've forgiven. You make the same mistakes every day, and yet my love does not waver. My love is constant, and my mercies are new every morning. Be generous and gracious to your kids. Or maybe it's your spouse. They leave for the umpteenth time. They've left a dish on the coffee table, a dirty dish, and you're about to go in and just unload your wrath, and then the peace of Christ blows his whistle. Jesus says, remember, I love you. And I always loved you. Coworker, what, whatever situation it is, when the peace of Christ is ruling in you, it, it, the peace of Christ is interjecting itself and saying, remember the vertical peace that I have brought you with God, which is your fundamental challenge to begin with? I've given it to you. And how did I give it to you? Through my blood. Through sacrifice. And I'm calling you to apply my work of peace with God to you, to apply that out horizontally with others so that that rules your life. You know, we have this idea that what I think about Jesus is sort of like a person, it's, it's, it's a personal thing between me and Jesus. But I hope you're seeing what, what Paul is describing here is something that has massive ramifications for all of life, including how we relate to everyone around us, particularly the church. And finally, Paul says, um, all of this is moving towards the oneness of the body. This is verse 15. And then at the end, it almost seems like an afterthought, he says, and be thankful, and be thankful, right? Gratitude is our response to God's creation. There was a, when, when, when this quarantine first happened, at least in Oklahoma, it was probably, you know, blizzards every day in Iowa, but in Oklahoma, it was, uh, it was early March, and it was very wet, it was very cold, it was gloomy, it was overcast for like seven days straight. 
And it felt like a pandemic felt right in that moment. And then all of a sudden, the skies, the, the blue skies show up and the sun shows up and it starts to warm up again. And there was a, a few days where it was like, it just doesn't feel like we should be in the middle of a pandemic with such beautiful weather, with such beautiful, beautiful creation all around us. And that's one of the dilemmas of life, right? There is a brokenness and fallenness to the world on the one hand, and yet on the other hand, creation and, and the world around us speaks such beauty. And our only response to creation is one of, of gratitude. And, and not just creation, because the promise for us in Christ is that God is working about a recreation based nothing on anything we've done, but solely on his grace to rebellious sinners, which produces even more gratitude. That is our response to the world around us and to those around us. And that's why Paul says, be thankful. So, um, this is quite the, quite the outfit that Paul is calling us to wear. Right? It, it, all of these things, compassion, humility, patience, meekness, all of the love, all of these things kind of grate against every instinct that we have that we're supposed to kill and take off. So the question is, how do we pull off this outfit? How do we pull it off? We can't pull it off, right? And that is, unless we have the right underwear, right? Which is, brings us to our second point. The, we, underneath these, these imperatives, these things that we are to do, we must be clothed in Christ's righteousness, right? If we want to bear the fruits of humility and patience and meekness and compassion and love, and etc., we've got to have the right roots. And throughout the New Testament, this is, this is the cadence of the New Testament. God has done this for you. You have been declared righteous. By grace, you have been saved. Uh, as a result, live this way. That's the cadence of the New Testament. That's the cadence of Paul's letters. That's the cadence that we saw in Ephesians. That's the cadence of Colossians. It's even the cadence of these four verses right here. Did you see it? Paul is giving us imperatives, like Justin mentioned last week. We're getting the imperatives, but he has rooted all of these imperatives again in the indicative. It was clear as day in verse 12. Let's look again at verse 12. Put on then... As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Right? That's who we are. That's the indicative. That's who we are in Christ. Why does Paul keep hammering this home over and over and over again? Who we are in Jesus. The answer is because we are a forgetful people. We really have difficulty believing it functionally. Uh, that it would actually animate all of our actions. The fact that we are beloved and holy and chosen in Christ. We forget it. We forget it. We, we have an internal dialogue in our heads that says, that may be true for some people, but no, we know what's going on in your heart way down deep. Nobody else knows what's going on in your heart, but, but you know what's going on in your heart, and you know that it is so wicked and so dark, and if you even get down into its depths, you, you, you yourself are repulsed by it. And there is no way that God could call you His beloved 
knowing what you're like. Or maybe you've had this moment where uh, a chi- uh, your, your, kid, your child comes home and is upset because someone is calling them a name. You know, dummy. And you have that conversation. You say, you're not dumb. You, you're, you're not dumb. And don't worry about what another six-year-old says in a little tiff on the playground. Like, it's not true. When we elevate what we declare ourselves to be, above what Creator God has declared us to be in Christ, we're taking our cues from the wrong voice. From the wrong voice. It it doesn't matter what you think. God's declaration upon you is what matters, and this is what God has said. Again, verse 12, you are holy. You are set apart. You are chosen. You are my beloved. Right? Do you have like a favorite possession? That you, and and if, you, if you do, you take care of it. You regularly look at it. You may polish it up a little bit. You, you do all the things that you can do to care for that possession. Or, or maybe that's what, God, that's what God calls us in Christ. We're his, the church is his possession, his most prized possession. Um, and we're also his workmanship. Maybe in, in your whole working life, is there something that you are extremely proud of and you think about? When you get down about your work, you think, well, we did, do, we did accomplish that great thing. That's what, God, that's what Paul says about the church, that we are his, his workmanship. The thing that, he, that God is so proud of. And not only that, to kind of blow all those other metaphors out of the water, God calls us his cherished spouse, that we are the bride of Christ. Objectively, That's who we are in Christ. And so Paul says, act like it. Act like it. Right? Paul is is, is teaching us out of the indicative to do, um, to live the way Christ has called us to to live. To get our souls back on the track of, 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 of a lap for Christ and his kingdom. Right, because remember, apart from God, you're bent on yourself. We, um, as as many of you know, Kings Cross folks know, we we got a puppy. Right, we have a we have a dog that's two years old, three years old, and now we have a puppy. And the older dog always sort of mystified me. Would chase his tail like many dogs do. And and then the other day, I looked out, and this little puppy is on the deck, chasing his tail. Why do dogs do that? There's probably a good answer, uh, science, you know, biological reason why dogs chase their tails, but I wonder if it's not just a metaphor for life apart from Christ. That, that, that what, what we are doing with those old clothes, those old selfish clothes that we wear, is we're just chasing our own tail, chasing ourselves. And that's what, that, that's what Paul is telling us, to take off. And what he's doing is inviting us to put on these new clothes and getting us back in step with the dance of creation. He's calling us to run a new race and to put our lives and the life of the church, corporate, in orbit around the bright, blazing glory of Christ and his kingdom. Let's pray together as we we close today. Our Father, we are not good at this. Um, we, we fail regularly. Uh, 
and we, we ask um, that you would give us what we need, and that is your spirit to make known to us these realities um, and to empower us to do what you've called us to do. Pray for Sacred City Church, Davenport. We pray for Sacred City and Moline. We ask that you would uh, bless them, especially as they return soon to um, physical gatherings. We pray also for King's Cross. Help us to be who you've called us to be in Oklahoma City. We ask that your church would be strengthened and bring glory to your name. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.